0: Yeah, we're really lucky. Um, before I dive in, um, before, before I pray, I'm going to ask Logan to come and read our passage. It's a bit of a, a long passage, so we are in Mark chapter 1 from, no, I'm lying to you. We are in Mark chapter 8 from verse 1 all the way to verse 26. And Logan's going to read for us, and then I'll pray, and then we will get into it.
1: Yeah, like Wiseman said, it'll be from Mark 8, verses 1 to 26. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days, and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, "'How many loaves do you have?' They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his, his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also would be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied." And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there, were about, and there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalman, <laughs> sorry, um, the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread?
0: Thanks, <clears throat> Praise the Lord for his word. Uh, let me pray for us and uh, we'll get tucked in here. Our Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how your word is right here in front of us. And in it, through it, you open the eyes of our hearts that we would behold you. God, I pray that you'd be with us this morning. As we speak, and, as I speak and preach through your word, would you guard me from any error? And I pray, Father God, that you'd open our eyes, that we would behold you and see you for who you have revealed yourself to be in our Lord Jesus Christ. We praise you, Lord Jesus, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> All right, thanks, Logan, for reading that for me. Uh, I really appreciate that. I've been wrestling with uh, which introduction should I go with. Should I talk about the Matrix or should I talk about Lion King? <laughs> I know, right? Um, those are two of my favorite movies of all time. Lion King is number one, so I'm going to go with that. Um, so, if <clears throat> how many people have seen Lion King and the original Lion King, right? Like not not these new woke offshoots that people are trying to make right now. <laughs> I'm talking about the original Lion King. Um, one of my favorite scenes in that movie is when Simba is finally reunited with Rafiki. You guys know what I'm talking about? You know, like the the last time Rafiki saw Simba, he was holding him up. He's like, yeah, here's your your future king. And the next time Rafiki sees Simba, he's a vegan, you know, he's, he's, he's he's hanging up with his prey, you know, like he has no interest in killing gazelles, He's a a far cry from who who he's supposed to be. And and in that moment, Rafiki steps into the story and he does a very key thing. He he starts to help Simba to see what he he himself couldn't see. Simba couldn't see himself properly. He couldn't see his purpose. And he 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 couldn't see the world around him appropriately. And Rafiki steps in and he helps him. How does he do it? You know, he tells him, follow old Rafiki. He knows the way. You know? And he points him to a bed of water and he tells him to, to look there. But what can Simba see? He just sees his own reflection, right? And Rafiki says one key line that I just, I, I just enjoy. It. I always repeat it. When I was practicing this in front of my wife, I said it. She, was, she says, look harder. <laughs> 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 anyway, so... I don't, so just to make this introduction a little bit short, Simba is blind to who he is, what he's supposed to do. I mean, he's, he's eating bugs. <laughs> uh, like He's blind to who he's supposed to be and what his purpose is for. And so in the same way, when we read this passage, like the, the thing that popped out for me as I was preparing the passage, that there's, there's just a couple of ways that we see how there's just so much blindness to who Jesus is here. Um, there's a couple of ways that I want to try and flesh this out for us. This theme of blindness just keeps on popping out at us. I mean, you, see it in the, you see it in the disciples, you see it in the Pharisees, and you just see it in the end where Jesus eventually heals this blind man. And So there's a couple of ways that I want to flesh out and see how what are the kind of blindnesses that we see in this passage. And I hope with doing that, I'm just going to give us some practical implications um, in the same way that if if we get to recognize some of these blindnesses, there's a way in which that we can respond so that we too can not live eating bugs when we're meant to be eating. Let me not go there. (laughs) Um, Okay, so just to give you a heads up, I'm going to start with the Pharisees, so it's going to be a little bit weird. I'm going to start in the middle of the story. I'm going to go to the beginning again and go back to the disciples, and then we're going to finish off with with our blind guy being healed at the end. Okay, so... Uh, please don't get lost, follow with me as we start. So my first point is, I call it blind rebellion. Now the context here is Jesus has just finished uh, a full day or full couple of days of ministry with his disciples. They've just fed a whole bunch of people and they've just landed now in this region called Dalmanutha. And, and, and it's, we know it's a Jewish region because there's Pharisees there. So the Pharisees, as he lands there, First thing that happens, he's approached by the Pharisees. But now contrast the Pharisees to what happens in the beginning of the chapter. Jesus has a whole group of people in a Gentile region, and they're all there, they're with him for three days, and they're just soaking him in. But these guys come to Jesus, and what do they do? Read with me, it says in verse, in verse 11, The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign, from heaven. They were, seeking, they were seeking a sign to test him. You know, the ESV uses the word the Pharisees came arguing, seeking from him a sign. But the CSB puts it in a more appropriate way for me. It says, the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, demanding a sign from heaven. Can you see the attitude there? Can you see like, the posture with which these guys are coming towards Jesus, is very different from the beginning of the chapter. Unlike the massive crowd who gather to hear Jesus healing and teaching them, the disciples come with sassiness, and they start demanding from him what they want. And the text is clear here that the disciples, not the disciples, excuse me, the Pharisees, they're coming to test Jesus. There's one other place in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus is tested. If you go to Mark chapter 1, verse 12 to 13, you'll see that Jesus is led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit and he is tested. Some version might say, tempted. By who? By Satan. That is the posture and attitude that these guys are coming to Jesus with. They're blind to who he is and they're rebellious towards him. The Pharisees are not content with what they see from Jesus. They're not impressed. They're not moved by what, all that Jesus has done. They've heard of the feedings. They've heard Him heal. They've heard his teachings. But their posture is not what the people are doing. Their posture is to come there with their attitude, with their rebellion, and they just want to test him. They demand things from him. They, Jesus is not worthy to them until he meets some kind of standard that they have set. Who Jesus has, is trying to reveal himself to be is not sufficient for them. And, it's not, and notice that what they are testing for him, and I and I think Mark is putting the story in a very artistic way, they're seeking a sign from heaven. It's not, it's not a mistake that this happens immediately after Jesus feeds a couple of people. Jesus has a, another huge picnic. Like they are, li- Mark is trying to show us that like, what Jesus has done, it's echoing something. It's echoing what God did in the wilderness. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? <clears throat> in the wilderness, God provided ha- manna from where? From heaven. Manna and bread came down and, and God was able to feed his people from heaven. That these Pharisees demand a heavenly sign and in, their, in them doing that, they just show them, we, we ought to see here that they are acting as if they know what is heavenly. They're discontent with what Jesus has already done and in their eyes, they want Jesus to sing and dance and perform like a little puppet so that he can prove himself to be, so it's for him to prove himself to them. They are deaf and blind to Jesus, what Jesus has already done and are resolved to reject him because he just doesn't fit into their paradigm. As I was preparing this, I was reading um, a couple of commentaries and this one stood out for me. Alan Cole says, the Pharisees' theological knowledge has become their stumbling block. Their arguments and demands for signs is a clear indication of their unbelief. They are so hard-hearted that they are unwilling to admit that even if a sign was given to them, it still wouldn't change their minds. That's hectic, and so as, as we read this, I think we, we, we can try to read this, and we can try to read ourselves into this a little bit. I think there's a variety of ways that this plays out in our lives today. In the same way that like we see the Pharisees being so rebellious to Jesus, I mean, this plays out in our lives today. I like what Paul says in, in, in Romans chapter one, it says, um, let's go there real quickly. It says, Romans chapter one from verse twenty one one, it says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him. They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. This kind of blind rebellion, I mean, we all either know or have come across people, or we might be people today listening to this, who just, when we think about, when we read the Bible, when we think about these stories, feeding the 5,000, crucified, rising from the dead, walking on water, we we all know, or have come across, or might be people who just, this is just a stumbling block to them, just blind to see who this guy is, and live in rebellion. Paul in 1 Corinthians 23-25, to he speaks of how preaching Christ crucified, hearing about who Christ is, trying to... He's speaking about just how hard hearts can be. Hearing about Jesus Christ crucified is a stumbling block. But then he says something so powerful. I just got to go there real quickly, sorry. He says... Forgive me for all this endless paging. He says, um, in in chapter one, verse 23, he says, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greek, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. I think for us who trust and believe in our Lord Jesus Christ, that verse ought to encourage us to say, yeah, we're going to continue to evangelize. We're going to continue to share our faith because the wisdom of God, the foolishness of God is better than the wisdom of men. We all know and have come across people Jesus Christ is just a stumbling block to them. They just don't get it. You probably know people who just don't understand or haven't actually taken the time to consider God's word. And I just want to encourage us to like there are there are people struggling with blind rebellion. They either openly reject Jesus and then it's okay we can engage with people like that. And then we know people who just don't they haven't had the opportunity to hear the gospel. A living in blind rebellion. And God in his word encourages us here. His foolishness is wiser than the wisdom of men. And we get to do that. We get to partake in that. Helping people see. Like Rafiki helped Simba. We get to help people say, look harder. I don't want to, I don't want to stay too long on this point. So let's move on to my next point. The next point, we see it in the lives of the disciples. I call it blind apathy. Now, just to give you a bit of an overview now, so we're going back to the first to the first 10 verses. And in those verses, we see Jesus and his disciples. Um, they've been hanging out with the crowd. He's been doing his miracles. He's been doing his thing. Um, and then Jesus recognizes something. He's just filled with compassion for the people who are around him. Jesus' character remains consistent. In verse 1, Mark tries to kindle our imaginations by giving us a bit of extra detail about the crowd. He says, they had nothing to eat. So as we read that, like, he, just, he just wants us to hold that in mind. That's the context with which we're dealing with it. This crowd is here with Jesus and they had nothing to eat. And the fact that they had nothing to eat is what evokes Jesus' compassion. And then he approaches his disciples. He comes to them. He's like, hey, concerned about the crowds. They've been with me for a couple of days and they have nothing to eat, and I don't want to send them away. Jesus' compassion and love for this creature has already been healing them. He's already been preaching to them and teaching them. And his compassion goes even further. And he approaches his disciples with a a seemingly impossible task, right? And we all know why I'm using the word seemingly, right? We've been there before. We've seen this play out before. Jesus has had a picnic where he fed more than 5,000 people in that one and that time he only had five loaves of bread and two fish. And So he comes there with a seemingly impossible task and at that moment I'm anticipating myself to say, oh yes the disciples are about to do something right. What happens though? Again, I'm going to read for the CSB. I like it because it's just it's such so anticlimactic when I when I read it from the CSB. He says, "Where can anyone get enough bread here in this desolate place to feed all these people? I wonder where." You know, like the blindness of the disciples just jumps out at you. Like we've been here before. You know? Now, I don't want to be too hard on the disciples because. When I start talking about us, it's going to be a little bit tough here. But, <laughs> like the blindness just jumps out at you, right? That's the first question I ask myself. As I'm really like, Jesus is coming to them with this situation. In the first miracle, it's the disciples that come to Jesus. Like, if you, if you want to look back in your, in, in your Bibles, like, check that. It's the disciples who come to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, it's time now. Send these people away. We've got to go eat something, you know? And Jesus tests them and says, no, 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 no. no. You give them something to eat. In that moment, Jesus is the one who tests them when they are the ones who brought to the situation. This time, Jesus is the one who comes to them and says, hey, it's as if he's testing them. He's like, hey, guys, I'm concerned about these guys. man. What's going to happen here? You know, in the first miracle, they respond to Jesus, hey, we don't have enough money. And what happens? Jesus steps in. And when you read in this one here, Jesus doesn't even answer them. He just asks them the same question he asked them before. What do you have? Jesus offers them the opportunity to use what they have to meet this this massive problem. But for the disciples, the memory of the first miracle is like water off a duck's back, and they're overwhelmed with the situation. One of the commentators I was reading said, Despite having seven lows, and a few small fishes, the disciples fail to recognize that their limited resources is not the issue in this problem. They fail to recognize this because they they fail to consider Jesus Christ. Jesus is right there with them. The whole process unfolds the same way it did and they're still looking at the circumstances of the situation, you know, you think that having fed ten thousand people on two separate occasions would you know, kind of help these guys, you know, kind of catch a bit of a wake-up. But unfortunately, like many of us today, the disciples they, they keep reasoning, they keep looking at life and all the and, and the situations that they're in through the lens of the circumstances instead of through Jesus Christ. And that's the blind apathy that I want to touch on here. We see in the boat that Mark tells us that having left the area where they were were arguing with the disciples, where they were arguing with the Pharisees, you can see there from verse 14, Mark gives us another Hint here. It says they had no bread. They're on the boat and they had forgotten to bring some bread with them. And Jesus, in his mind, he's rummaging around just what happened with the disciples, I mean, with the Pharisees. Just wrestling with him. He's like, okay, he's just seen this. And in his, you know, like when you read that account with the Pharisees, it says Jesus sighed deeply, like Jesus really felt their hardness of heart. He's just really disappointed. And obviously he's thinking about this now. And, and his concern of the hardness of heart of the Pharisees and his love for the disciples like, leads him to actually give them a caution. and Like, hey, guys, you know, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. The disciples have just seen Jesus do a miracle. We know that they're on the boat with no bread, because Mark tells us that, Jesus is more concerned about spiritual issues and is moved by the hardness of heart of the Pharisees and like a father would caution their children, like parents would caution their children about the pervasive influences of society and how dangerous some of them may be, Jesus speaks that way. His compassion to his disciples is shown in that way but well, what are they thinking about? They're feeling like they haven't carbo-loaded enough for the trip. Mm-hmm. And guys, I just like, <coughs> you know, th- this past week, this, this particular part of the passage was just so instrumental for me. These guys are discussing among themselves that they did not have any bread. <coughs> Concerned about um, whether or not they they have cargo loaded enough for their trip that they're going on. And Jesus lets them have it. And He comes at them Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Don't you understand? Don't you comprehend? Do you have hardened hearts? Do you have eyes and not see? Do you have ears and not hear? And do you not remember? I feel sad, like, like, I'm so glad that we have the scriptures because when we read that, we can read ourselves into that immediately. The disciples are so, they're so concerned with what is right in front of them that they miss what is right in front of them. There are circumstances that we all wrestle with daily each of us wrestle with varying circumstances that tempt us to forget a more truer reality than the circumstances that we go through. Jesus Christ is still Emmanuel. Despite the circumstances that we will face every day, despite the lack of, We are still in a pandemic. We're sitting here with almost 50 people with masks on. We've had a really rough couple of weeks and months in our country. And I don't want to minimize those situations. In the same way, I'm not minimizing the fact that these disciples don't have any bread. That's not the issue here. And Jesus is well aware of that. Their issue is the fact that Jesus has already met this problem that they're feeling in the immediacy and they forget to consider Jesus Christ in the midst of that problem. Guys, we as believers get to do that. The moments of our daily lives come with various challenges and circumstances that tempt us to be blinded from seeing the relevance and importance of trusting Jesus. Trusting that Jesus is with us. I'm reading a book right now by John Piper and I'd encourage everyone of you guys to pick it up. It's called Future Grace and he just puts the practicalities of trusting Jesus moment by moment, day by day. It doesn't dismiss the circumstances but it encourages us to be aware of the blind apathy that the circumstances of our lives will push us to. And praise God that Jesus doesn't just shun the disciples and chucks them out. No, he, he, he's, still, he's with them. That's how Jesus works. He is with us even when we struggle to believe him. Even when we struggle to recognize and look at our circumstances in light of the fact that he is with us. I'm so glad that we came to worship today. As we're singing the songs, I was just like, yeah. Yo. You know, as I'm thinking about this, I'm like, all of it's just washing over me. in my mind. I'm like, yes, God is with us, no matter what happens. The circumstances are painful, you know. I don't know, like, we all have ex- have a different experience. I mean, we can have conversations, but we have all have experienced COVID, last couple of weeks in, in different ways. Everyone has a different experience and those experiences are real. But Jesus is also real. And we get to hope in Jesus in this way. We get to see, we get to behold Jesus in this way. Which leads me to my, to my last point about, about uh, this guy who's being healed here. I call this point blindness cured. You know, <clears throat> when you read the Gospel of Mark, um, I just want to preface with, with this real quickly. If you read the Gospel of Mark, uh, and I hope by now everyone has already read the, through the whole Gospel of Mark. If you haven't, it's, it's going to take about an hour, hour and a half. Um, I encourage you to read it. It's pretty cool. Um, when you read the whole Gospel, the first part of the Gospel speaks about who Jesus is. And this is where our passage is from. But the second part of the gospel speaks about why he came. And so now, when you think about this miracle being here in the part where it's still revealing uh, who Jesus is, we need to ask ourselves the question, why does Mark do that? W- what is Mark trying to do? And I think there's a couple of things that Mark is trying to do. One, um, this, is, uh, this miracle is only found in this gospel, Jesus comes, they land in Bethsaida, um, the pe- people, a group of people bring this blind man to him, and, 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 and they see Jesus for who he is, like, this guy has done some pretty amazing things, and we trust that he can do this, like, we see that, it's, a, it's, a, it's very different from the Pharisees. These guys, it's a whole group of people, they drag dragging this blind man along, it's an it's probably a noisy and busy village, and they're like, hey, Jesus, touch. And they're specific about what they want. They don't just say, hey, man. Um, you know, they come and they say, they brought, they, they brought, oh, they say, some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. They're specific. Hey, here's our friend. I beg you, touch him. You know? And you have to, like, this miracle and the miracle that, Doug preached on last week, those two miracles are only found in the Gospel of Mark. And one of the reasons I think that Mark has put it this way is he's trying to paint one, a picture of the, of the disciple's spiritual condition. The deaf and the blind. That's the warning Jesus gives them. And then secondly, he's trying to use these miracles, and what's happening in between them to reveal something about Jesus. He's trying to show us how Jesus is busy revealing himself. Everything Jesus does in the first part of Mark is revealing who he is. And so when you consider, in light of Mark's gospel now, when you consider the miracle of the deaf man and you consider the miracle of this blind man and how Jesus brings him to healing, like, it's... it's, it's, It's the only miracle where it's a two-step process. But he's really trying to show the condition of the disciples and help the disciples to see who he is. And I think next week, whoever's going to be preaching on it, the next time we preach on Mark, we're going to see um, how he's trying to reveal himself. But Mark is just really nudging us forward to consider who else in the Bible, where else in the Bible have we heard of someone who is able to Make the deaf hear. Make the blind see. And when you think about it, where else in the Bible? And I was really just trying to think about what is the creative way I can help us see this. And I thought, Psalm 146. Like, Let's turn to Psalm 146 real quickly. And I'll read. And I'm going to read the whole psalm here. And, 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 as, and as I read it, try and answer that question for yourself. Who... Ours can make the deaf hear and the blind see. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have have my being. Put not your trust in princes. In a son of man in whom there is no salvation, when his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord, whose hope is in the Lord, his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoner free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up Those who are bowed down, the Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourner. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked, he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever, your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Isn't that amazing? Who is the one who makes the deaf hear and the blind to see? Only a holy God. This is what cures blind apathy. This is what confronts blind rebellion. Hope and faith in a holy God. As we as we continue in this series of Mark, as we meet together as a church, if you haven't started meeting with, as, as CGs, I encourage you guys continue to meet, like, meet as CGs and behold the only cure we have in the midst of the circumstances that we'll go through. If you don't believe in this stuff, I wanna, I wanna encourage you, reach out to us. If you have friends, who are not Christians, I encourage you, take heart in this hope that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. And I encourage you. As, as Christians, we don't see the way the Pharisees see. You know, for them, seeing is believing. But as Christians, as believers, believing is seeing. The eyes of faith see here and now what is yet to be realized in the future, and so obtain strength to endure. It's by faith we continue to share our faith, and it's by faith we continue to hope in the midst of very difficult circumstances, very real circumstances. And that's what Mark is trying to show us here. Jesus Christ is the one in whom we trust and believe. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, God, thank you for the gift of your Son, our King, our great high priest, our Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, thank you that even in the midst of difficult circumstances, you are the one who stirs the affections of our hearts. Who draws us near, who reminds us again that our Lord Jesus Christ is still Emmanuel. He is God with us. I pray for those who don't know you, God, that you would open their eyes to see. May they see your Son, may they see your grace and your mercy. Give us who have trusted in you the hope and the courage and the faith to be bold enough to continue to shout and preach your word faithfully. Give us wisdom, God. The wisdom that comes from you is better, far better than the wisdom of men. We thank you again, Lord Jesus, for how you have revealed yourself in your word you have revealed the father to us I pray God that you continue to be with us that we would live and hope and total dependence in you day by day moment by moment in Jesus name Amen